Our Old Testament reading tonight comes from the Proverbs. We'll be in Proverbs chapter 3, which should be found on page 627 of your Pew Bibles. We'll probably take multiple sermons to go through this particular proverb, and tonight we'll be touching upon verses 1 through 8. Let's give attention now to God's very word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Or He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I'll stop there in our reading of God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, as we come now to this wisdom, literature, your very word, Father, some of these verses are so familiar to us. We think we know them in our human understanding. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us humility tonight, that we would wait upon you, that your spirit would penetrate our hearts first tonight, and then we would see even Christ in this passage. Help us, Lord, by your spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The prophet Ezekiel, in chapter 37, records what I believe to be a vision that was given to him. Some call it the Valley of the Dry Bones, where he's taken out by the Spirit and and brought into the middle of the valley, and he sees and he looks upon this valley, and it is full of dry bones. He said there were very many on the surface, and they were all very dry. And the Lord asks him a question. Son of man, can these bones live? Think of that. Death. Death just laying on the surface. 
dry bones being seen by Ezekiel covering the ground and the Lord asking, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, Lord God, you know, and then he's told to prophesy over the bones, meaning proclaim the very word of God over these dry bones. He does so, and you know the story, you know the account. The Lord is causing life to come into these bones as a result of the word that is poured out upon them. And so Ezekiel does exactly that, what the Lord commands. He prophesies. He sees. He looks. The bones begin to rattle. They come together. There's sinew that's placed upon them. Flesh comes upon them. Skin covers the bones. But there was no breath. And the Lord tells him to prophesy to the breath. And he does so. And he sees now that they come and become this great army. Standing. Living. Breathing. picture of what God does for every single one whose heart he changes from stone to flesh from one who is dead truly dead in sins and brings him to life it's a bit of what's going on here in Proverbs chapter 3 it's a bit of what is being discussed by the writer Solomon Uh, we believe, was the writer of 29 of the 31 Psalms, the last two written by others, but we believe that Solomon wrote the first 29. He was the one who asked the Lord for wisdom and who was given wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and so it seems appropriate that Solomon would be the one writing wisdom literature, these first 29 Proverbs. And they're written during Solomon's reign, it appears, because the first proverb begins this way, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. He's writing as a king, ruling over his people and pouring out that wisdom and understanding that the Lord himself had given him. Tonight, as we look at these first eight verses of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, I want us to see that The children of God are restored and refreshed as His Word is laid up and kept within their hearts by the Spirit. The children of God are restored and refreshed as His Word is laid up and kept in their hearts by the Spirit. We'll see that in three points tonight. First, pursuing evil. Secondly, finding favor. And finally, being refreshed. This is a a wonderful passage of Scripture because it really sets forth before us God's work. It shows us that our relationship with the Lord has been broken, that He is the one who has restored it. And then it shows the effect upon us of that restored relationship. So as we go through, I'd like you to see those things, that broken relationship, that restored relationship, and then the effect that that restored relationship has upon the children of God. Well, first then, pursuing evil. As we open this proverb, Proverb 3, we see that Solomon is telling his readers that, that we, meaning his readers, 
have a persistent and indwelling problem, an epidemic, so to speak, that all mankind descending from Adam by ordinary generation have this problem. And so as Solomon writes within his writing, he writes of length of days and peace. He writes of finding favor with God and man. He writes of success or having good repute. He writes of understanding and straight paths. He writes of wisdom and turning from evil. And he calls his readers, calls us to keep the commandments, to trust in the Lord, to acknowledge him, to be refreshed. The mere fact that he has raised these matters within this first portion of this proverb indicates that his readers were deficient or lacking in them. So let's take a, a minute to look at a few of these items in particular that Solomon writes of and that we might within see our persistent problem, our, the fact that we as children of Adam pursue evil. First, Solomon urges his readers to pay heed to the commandments of God so that they will have long life. Look at verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. The problem is, the first problem is that we do not have long life or peace. Indeed, as sinners... Our lives are short. Now, as we speak of shortness of life, we're, we're thinking God's thoughts after him. Men may live to 100, 100 years plus of age, but compared to eternity, the length of man's days are short. God told Adam in the garden that the day that you eat of it, meaning the forbidden fruit, you shall surely die the day that you eat of it. On the day that Adam did eat of the fruit, he died spiritually. He was removed from the garden. He was removed from God's presence. He died a spiritual death that day. He tried to cover his guilt, his shame. He couldn't do it in his own strength. The days were short. Because Adam sinned against God. Now every man, woman, and child descending from Adam has that same problem. Our days are short because of sin. And then we lack peace. The second epidemic. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you our persistent problem is a lack of peace. As we sin against God, our guilt comes to bear upon us like a weight pack, like that pack that Christian in Pilgrim's Progress was carrying around. He wanted to get it off of his back. It was that guilt. There can be no peace. No peace with God as one sins against Him. And think of this. God, the living God, the God of creation, who made every single one of us, who knit us together in our mother's wombs, He is our maker. We are forever connected in this life to Him. Even though many deny it. 
We're forever connected. Every single person on this planet is connected to God. And as we break his laws, we transgress his commandments, we offend him. And those offenses make us his enemy. Just think of that for a moment. Dwell upon that. The one who gave you life, the one who sustains your very breath this moment, the one who causes your heart to beat, your blood to flow throughout your body, the one who causes the electrical impulses, and I don't really understand that, within your physical being to act so that you can feel and you can hear and you can see. This is the one you've offended. And thus you're at war with God. As a result, there can be no peace, no true peace or rest as you live in your sins before your Creator, Holy God. We lack peace as we continue to sin against God. And then we're so spiritually sick that our bones are in decay. Look at verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Solomon is saying there's something wrong with your flesh and you need healing. There's also something wrong with your bones and they need refreshment. Each of us are sickly. Our corrupt hearts resulting in an inclination to sin, which we inherited with, from Adam, means that we are spiritually sick. Each of us has a terminal spiritual illness. Our flesh, which, in which resides the root of sin, is in need of healing, which we cannot find in this physical world. There is no doctor on earth who can heal our spiritual disease, and this spiritual sickness is so deep within us that it has penetrated within our very bones. It's infected our entire being to our core. It is as if our spiritual beings had bones, structures, foundations of our spiritual bodies, and our sin is causing that structure to rot away, to decay, to become brittle, we're dying from the inside out. There's no true life within us because of our sin, and so remain, as we remain in our transgressions, we are rotting. There's no freshness within us. And thus the valley of the dry bones. That's what Ezekiel was seeing as he looked out upon the dry bones. No life within them, a graveyard exposed for Ezekiel to see a picture of the corrupt dead hearts of the Israelites. And so we see as Solomon writes of these things, it's all a result of our corrupt hearts. The defilement, the filth that is within each of our hearts and the corruption that leads to other persistent problems. You say, could there be more? The answer is yes. Yes, there's more. Solomon here speaks of trusting in the Lord, being wise in our own understanding being wise in our own eyes. Our persistent problem includes the fact that we have a human understanding which is corrupt, completely corrupt. It's not only fallible, but our reasoning is, is backwards outside of Christ. 
Our human wisdom and understanding is always leaning toward the world and worldly reason, worldly lust, worldly desires. Our corrupt heart leads us in crooked paths, not straight paths. In other words, a path toward evil. That's why Solomon has to write, turn away from evil. Every single path that Adam has given to us in our corrupt hearts leads away from God and the things of God to the things which oppose God. All of these things then lie behind Proverbs 3 as it's opened up by Solomon. Indeed, what I've just described is everyone's estate as they are born in Adam. In Genesis 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of, his, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Job, as Job speaks in chapter 14, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. As David writes of his sin with Bathsheba, in Psalm 51, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And Jeremiah, in chapter 17, writes of the heart as being deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Brothers and sisters, that is what lies behind Proverbs 3. That brings us to our second point, finding favor. In response to that, I hope that you're asking this question, well, how might I receive favor from God? If you've heard that description of our estate in Adam and you realize that you're at battle, you're at war, you're at enmity with God, I I hope you're now asking, how can I become a friend of God? How can I change sides, so to speak, in this battle? How can I find find favor in the sight of God? See, we wouldn't be asking that question unless we understood the depth of our sin, the reality, the truth that we have earned death, we have earned the eternal wrath of God which bears upon us for the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 And that death is described in Scripture as the lake of fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. How can I find favor with God? Well, that's what the psalmist is teaching, isn't he? Verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. It's part of that persistent problem we have, isn't it? Forgetfulness. In our corrupt hearts, we have a difficult time laying up the word of God. We can remember things, places, and names easily, but when it comes to the teachings of Christ, we easily and quickly forget And so the king calls us to remember, do not forget. Look at how he addresses the reader, my son. Solomon writes as if he were a caring father speaking to his own son. We can read it in other Proverbs. Proverbs 1 verse 8, my son, 
Hear your father's instruction, chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, he's acting as one who is close. He's writing as one who is caring. He's writing as one who is taught, the one who's listening to his words. He assumes that his son has received and understood his prior teaching, and now there is merely this call to remember. Do not forget, I've taught you. Now don't forget my teaching. Commit it to memory. It's in keeping with what Moses wrote to the Israelites in his last book, Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. My son, do not forget my teaching. The first prescription here then for our sick hearts is to read, to know, to commit the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, the commandments to your heart. Memorize them. Be able to speak them. Indeed, the Lord has placed them on your hearts. That's what we read in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. They, meaning the Gentiles, showed that the work of the law is written on their hearts. That's what God does for us. Each and every one that he's made in his image, he writes his law upon our hearts. And yet we still need help in remembering. Let me pause here just for a moment and ask the parents. Can you call your sons and daughters in this way? Do not forget my teaching. The assumption, the implication is that the teaching has been and if the children are still in the home, is being given. Can you do it? It's so important for Christian parents to be raising their children in the love and admonition of the Lord. That's part of what the, the proverbial writer is speaking of, which lies behind his writing. My son, do not forget my teaching. That's the negative. Now the positive, let your heart keep my commandments. So once the commandments are recalled, now the second prescription for your sick heart is to keep the commandments. Certainly one thing to have the teaching, isn't it? One thing to be given the teaching. It's another thing to lay it up in your heart, to, to remember it, to memorize it. And then it's another, certainly another, to actually keep them. Keeping must be equivalent to doing. Again, we can go back to the Pentateuch and see uh, where these things are spoken of and the proverbial writer is, is in a sense just mirroring what's been given by Moses. Leviticus 18. Speak to the people of Israel, say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. James, not just an Old Testament precept, 
James in chapter 2 writes, You want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. There's a key here to this first verse. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Let your heart keep my commandments. Your heart is the key. See, there are plenty of people who say to themselves and who might say to Jesus on the day of judgments, I do keep the commandments. I did keep the commandments. I'm a good person. But Jesus will say to these, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He's referring to those who would engage in a superficial keeping. An insincere keeping, a keeping in vain. God knows the heart. The Pharisees were masters of their keeping of their traditions, which amounted to an insincere keeping of the law. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. An insincere, superficial keeping of God's commands not from the heart we learned a little bit about parallelism this morning and it seems that we have an instance of it here between verses 1 and 3 in verse 1 we have my son do not forget my teaching and in verse 3 we read bind them around your neck write them on the tablet of your heart I think those go together Don't forget my teaching. And here's how. Bind them. Bind them around your neck. Even on your exterior, write them on the tablet of your heart, on your interior. Exterior, interior, you must be immersed in them. There's an image there given to us. Instructions as to how to to keep the commandments. Bind them, write them on your heart. Again, this seems to be a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Moses goes on. Tells them that they should be a sign on your hand. Frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. They were to be seeing them when they went out, when they come back in. When they looked at each other, they were to be seeing the commandments of God, frontlets between your eyes on the exterior and on the interior on your heart. How important are the commands of God to you tonight? How important is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ? He told us to go out and make disciples to do what? Teaching them all that I command you. How important. Solomon, speaking the very words of God, is, to, is telling us 
that God's word, his commandments, should be kept with us at all times. Never leave home without it. Never be at home without it. Sleep with it. Eat with it. Shower with it. Bind them on your heart. Not only are you never without your heart, your heart is the seat. It's the foundation of your very being, your life. How much closer can God's commands get to your interior than your heart, this fountain of your life? That's the idea. The question for us tonight is how important is the Word of God to you? The commands of God. We need to meditate upon that. God thinks they're really important for you. You may be asking yourself this question. Why? Why? Why remember the commands? Why keep the commands? Why bind the commands? Why write them on your heart? There's so many benefits, so many promises contained within these short eight verses. We'll never be able to cover them, but we'll touch upon them. Why? First, for length of days and years of life and the peace they will add to you. Again, a restatement of Moses' writings. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land. See, the Israelites' days in the promised land were cut short as a result of their neglect of the living God. As they strayed after idols and false gods, what happened? They were exiled from the land. Their days in the land became short. Promises that if you lay up the commands of God, they're written on your heart, you keep the commands of God, there will be this benefit, length of days, years, life, peace. They will add, keeping the commands of God brings peace to the sincere keeper. Haven't you experienced that? Haven't you experienced the turmoil as you break God's law, the guilt that is weighing upon you as you break God's law, but as as the law is kept, isn't there peace with God? Aren't you experiencing that peace with God? Yes! You're feeling the the blood of Christ washing over you as you seek to keep His commands. The Lord is pouring out His steadfast love and faithfulness. That's verse 3. These verses 1, 2, and 3 are connected. 
Verse 1 is speaking about keeping the commandments of God, and I think verse 3 is saying to us that the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God are contained within his commands, within his very word. And so as you're, as you're keeping the commands, as you're, as you're not forgetting the teaching, as you're remembering the teaching and, and keeping the word of God, and the length of days and years of life and peace are added to you, you're also receiving the steadfast love and faithfulness of God as you bind the word of God around your neck and write the commandments on your heart. It all ends in verse 4, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. That's the end of it, isn't it? That restored relationship a broken relationship defined by Solomon as the underpinnings of this proverb uh, convey to us our estate in Adam. And then as God's commands are written upon our hearts, as, as they're kept, as he's working by his spirit within us, as he is, as he is restoring that relationship with us, by and through Jesus Christ and as His Spirit works, then you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. That's how. That's the answer to our question. How can I be a friend of God? It's through Christ, through His work in your heart. As He lays up the commands in your heart and you desire, you so desire to keep His commands and then you're receiving that favor of God through Christ. That brings us to our third point, being refreshed. These last four verses here, in the first eight verses, seem to be a unit. They seem to go together and they seem to be headlined. They seem to be headlined here in verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That seems to be an umbrella, a headline for the other three verses from Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. They all fit under that one. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Our paths are crooked outside of Christ. And yet as one is in Christ Jesus, as we acknowledge him, as we know him as our Lord and Savior, as we're submitting ourselves to him, to his rule and reign over our lives, then, then he will make your path straight. Ezekiel in chapter 36 puts it this way, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight, being refreshed. Brothers and sisters, no one is refreshed on the crooked path. No one receives refreshment as they're headed on the path of evil. It's tiresome, it's wearisome, it's burdensome. 
It's constant turmoil, but on, on the path that is set before us by Jesus Christ, the straight path, there is refreshment. And we see that in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Such a contrast is set forth for us. The old way, the old man seeking to lean on corrupt understanding, but the new man trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts. The two paths are set forth. The two ways to live is set forth here in verse 5, underneath that umbrella of verse 6. The first path is that one path without Christ, without the guidance of His Spirit, living in rebellion, living according to corrupt human understanding, knowing knowing that true knowledge was lost in the fall. A crooked path. But the other, the other path of trusting in the Lord, casting off your corrupt reason and understanding, knowing that you cannot know anything truly outside of Christ. But in Christ, in Christ, all the riches a full assurance of understanding in the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God's mystery is in Christ. In Christ, all the, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are, are hidden. And so as you're trusting in the Lord, as you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know things truly through Christ, in Christ, because He, he is the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. What a contrast. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil again. The proverbial writer is setting forth that contrast to us, the old way and the new. The world thinks they're so wise. As we were at the Boardwalk Chapel this past week, we, we met many people who were wise in their own eyes. They didn't need God. They didn't need the Lord Jesus Christ. They just needed science. Science had become their master, their intellect, their, their reason, their understanding was now their idol, their God. Christ calls us so very clearly, do not be wise in your own eyes. Cast it off as you're trusting in the Lord as you're acknowledging Him in all of your ways, that's exactly what you're doing. You're, you're casting off the wisdom of the world and you're turning away from evil because at the heart of it you are fearing the Lord. And then verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That's that restored relationship that God has brought about through His Son. The refreshment that we so long for and desire. Brothers and sisters, as we have run through this passage tonight, I want to leave you with this. With this reconciliation that is set forth here, even though not expressly, implicitly set forth for us. As the call to... to not forget the teaching, to lay it up in our hearts, to bind it around our necks, to trust in the Lord, to acknowledge Him, to fear the Lord. 
None of this can be done in our own strength. None of us have willed ourselves to this point. Indeed, the only solution is in Christ Jesus. He is the only one who can bring about all of the things that are set forth in here that we are called to do as followers of Christ. He's the only one who can bring the promises which are set forth here to bear. Why isn't the solution found in ourselves? Why is it that we don't read this proverb as the proverbial writer saying, as you keep the commandments of God, as you memorize the commandments, as you turn yourself in your strength away from evil and seek to do good, there will be refreshment. There will be long life. You'll be earning favor with God. Brothers and sisters, that's not what Solomon had in mind. Indeed, that's what Satan has in mind. For each of us tonight, he would like each of us tonight to walk from this place thinking that the inspired writer was telling us, be a good person, be righteous in your own skin. Hear the commandments of God in your own strength to earn his favor. Inherit long life and refreshment for your bones on your own. Friends, this is impossible. Why do I say that? We only need to think of the rich young ruler for just a moment. Along with the disciples' reaction to the words of Christ, the rich young ruler had everything, wealth, power, affluence. Seemingly, according to his own words, he had, he had kept God's law. And yet he rejected Christ. Christ said, follow me. Cast off the world, cast off your riches, and follow me. He said, no. He rebelled. He clung to the world. Even one who professed to be a good person, who was righteous in his own strength, according to the law, he could not turn away from the world and follow Christ. He couldn't earn favor with God. You see, none of us can. None of us can keep the commandments the way the Solomon writes of in these first eight verses. None of us can earn God's favor. None of us can turn away from evil. But Jesus did. Christ did everything that's set forth in this proverb tonight. Everything that we've read of. He did. He loved the law. It was not only written on the tablet of his heart. He loved it. He sought to do it as if it were his food. There were never any thoughts within Christ's mind of transgressing it, no inclination, no desire. Even as John said, no, no, I'm not going to baptize you. Jesus Christ said, no, I need to be baptized to you before God. Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus earned favor with God and man. Luke records that for us. He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He trusted only in his heavenly Father, so much so that he would go to the cross knowing that he would suffer the eternal wrath of his Father, not for his sins, but for yours. 
But according to the promise of his father, he knew he would be raised to life as the first fruits, and he trusted in nothing other than the words of his father. And he never leaned upon his own understanding but always upon the very words of God as the tempter, as, as Satan comes to him and says to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He never leaned on his own understanding. And he never spoke on his own. But he spoke with the words that were given to him by his father. The Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say, what to speak. Do you see how the proverb comes to life in Christ? Indeed, all that is called for by Solomon in this proverb has been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus and by him alone. You see, that's why I say it's only in Christ. It's only in Christ that these promises are fulfilled. It's only in Christ that these promises that are set forth in this, in these eight verses can be yours. You can receive these promises through Christ. You can receive long life. You can have God's favor poured out upon you and His loving kindness. You can be truly healed of your deadly sin sickness, even which has infected your bones tonight. Your bones can be refreshed only in Christ. So the call tonight is is to not leave thinking that you can earn God's favor. But to leave here knowing that in Christ, in Christ, you have God's favor. Yes, the children of God are restored and refreshed as His word is laid up and kept in your heart through the Spirit. The Valley of the Dry Bones was such such an awesome picture for Ezekiel, I can imagine. Death was pervasive. But as the Word of God goes out and the dry bones come to life and they become a great army for God, We can just imagine Ezekiel praising the Lord. Tonight, tonight we should be praising God for the way He has worked in us and laid up His Word in our hearts through Christ Jesus and His Spirit that we have true life, long life. We've cast off the wisdom of the world and we trust in the Lord only. Amen. Our God and our Father, what a joy it is to be able to see Christ in your word. What a joy it is to see his fulfillment of all of these 
commands, these calls by Solomon, the inspired writer. We thank you, Lord Jesus, our King, that you've given us your word and that you have fulfilled it. And we thank you, Lord God, for your promises that we know are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, every single one of them. Oh, Father, we thank you for the refreshment that you've given us even tonight. And we now, as we look forward to the supper, we ask, Lord God, that, that if it's possible, and we know it is, that you'd give us even more refreshment as we feed upon Christ. We ask this in his precious name.